Welcome to the Step Change Podcast with me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. Now, my podcast is a series of thoughts to help you with the development of your own business and to make that step change that's often needed. Because we all know that if we want something different, it's often a step change that is needed. And today I'm delighted to have a guest with me. It's Lou Webster from the Coffee Consultancy. Hi, Lou. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spending some time with us to come and talk about your business, your entrepreneurial journey today. Um, so first of all, kick off. Tell us a little bit, what is the Coffee Consultancy? So the Coffee Consultancy is um, an agency, effectively, although it's just me at the moment, um, to basically help people uh, either start their kind of coffee serving journey um, by helping them get their first business open, or we can help uh, people that want to expand their um, their business. If they've got one coffee shop already, then maybe they want to open another one. We can help support them with that. Um, or maybe looking at how coffee can be served in other venues like pubs, restaurants, hotels, and basically working with those organizations to help them improve their coffee service so that they can hopefully make more money and improve their offer for their customers. Well, I know you love coffee and I'm sure we're <laughs> going to come on to that, but let's take it right back to where did that love of coffee really start? So I used to be a like regular Costa coffee girl. Um, I'm slightly ashamed of how much I used to drink and spend with them. But uh, And then basically, so I used to love coffee, uh, just drinking it, but not really know much about it. And then I was working in a variety of different jobs that I didn't particularly love and was feeling a bit lost. So my now husband and I, uh, we decided that we would go on a working holiday to Canada um, just because we both fancied that uh, lovely location and then thought we can get working visa there quite easily. So that was our location. And, um, and as soon as we got there, I was just thinking what a really nice way to kind of get into the local community would be to maybe try and find a job in a cafe um, and maybe get to learn some new skills. And so thankfully, I was able to land on my feet and, and get in with a, a new opening cafe that was part of a chain in downtown Vancouver, um, who also had their own roastery. And so I got in there and uh, basically, yeah, that's where my journey started. And they basically taught me everything initially from about like roasting, different um, coffee origins, how they taste different. And also the hospitality element as well. And I absolutely just fell in love with it. I love the, the people in particular, you get to meet them, but also just learning about coffee in general. And Vancouver has an incredible coffee scene. So my world just, just blew open and I'd found finally found an industry that I love to work in. Right. And you obviously came back to the UK at some point. What was the next part of the journey then towards sort of running your own Slightly business? Slightly bumpy initially. Um, we didn't want to come back to Canada, but our visa ran out. And uh, and then coming back to Oxford, or well, Oxfordshire, we, we, I live in Banbury, and um, there wasn't a, a massive coffee scene at that, that stage. This is about six, seven years ago now. It was sort of just starting. And where I was commuting early to get into Oxford wasn't really an option. And so I kind of like, oh God, what am I going to do? Um, and worked in a oh, dreadful place in Stratford for a bit. Uh, and then thought, okay, I need to upskill myself. So I had a little look to see what uh, coffee skills I could get um, and to improve my knowledge and make me more employable. And I found there's basically, it's called the Specialty Coffee Association and they do a whole diploma system. Mm -hmm. And um, I found a roastery in London uh, called Origin Coffee Roasters, who I basically, I went and I was like, do you know what, I'm just going to pay this money. I'm going to sign up and I'm going to do this two-day course um, and learnt loads uh, and then also happened to meet um, whilst I was there very fortuitously uh, the coffee kind of managers for Soho House okay. and then they because they origin at the time were Soho House's coffee supplier um, and uh, and then I found out that there was a Soho farmhouse right around the corner from where I lived and that they were also looking for a barista and I had just done the exact training course 
for serving coffee at Soho House. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll apply and see if they've got a job for me. A bit of fate then. A, a massive bit of fate. I'm not entirely sure what I would have done had I not had not done that. So I'm very grateful <laughs> to, for, for that happening. And did that experience at Soho Farmhouse take you on the journey to, mm. to where you are now? Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, quite a, a daunting thing because I'd only actually worked in coffee for maybe... 14, 15 months, and I did this this course, which was quite an intensive course, learned a lot, and then basically I went into Soho uh, and uh, was, yeah, thrown in, as, the, as you're doing a lot of hospitality things, of just because the farmhouse is an absolute beast. <laughs> and so I went in, and uh, so just trying to run coffee service in their main restaurant, and then took on the head barista role there, and um, which then was looking up to coffee service across the whole site. Um, and there's about 11 different bars each serving coffee um, and having to manage a good quality of service across that with loads of people, uh, bartenders that maybe don't care that much about coffee initially, mm. but the Soho House method and the coffee program was just like anybody that makes coffee here has to be trained, has to to, give, to care. Um, and, um, and if they're not trained, they're not allowed on the machines. Mm. So they had this really strict, really great program to, to follow. And uh, But yeah, so it was a baptism of fire, but had lots of support um, through the coffee team in, in London. Um, and um, yeah, just got to yeah, just got to learn on the job. Um, and thankfully, I thrived under those conditions where a lot of people. I think it's a bit. You either you you Soho House can be a bit brutal mm. if you you love it because it's so busy. But some people it's just a bit too much. So it's about finding that balance if it's if it's right for you. And thankfully at the time it was was perfect for me. Mm. You had a bit of an ex- a Soho experience overseas as well. Yeah. Yep, I was at the farmhouse for about two, two and a half years um, and um, had sort of got to the position where I was like, okay, I think I'm, I'm maxed out now. I'd like to do something different. And then an opportunity came. They were opening their Amsterdam house. Um, and um, I was like, that sounds fun. My husband was less impressed because it was about a month and a half after we got married. And I was like, I'm just going to go away for six months. Uh, and uh, But because... <laughs> In hindsight, it was a terrible idea. I'm so sorry, Chris. Uh, and um, but yeah, so it was an opportunity that I wanted to to, to find out and, and um, see if yeah how it went. It it was interesting. Let's say that um, it was um, an absolute like enormous site, um, right in in sort of downtown Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, interesting. I think is the main word I take from it. But it's, it was just phenomenally busy <laughs> from the get go. So let's let's take it on to your own business and as the entrepreneurial journey and say, okay, well, where, can you remember where you were when you decided I'm going to do my own business? This is this is my next bit. <laughs> when I was in Amsterdam towards the end of the six months, when I was like, oh my god, this is I, I need to go home now. This is this has broken me, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I was just like, I I was like, I, I loved working for Soho House, but I was kind of at that point now where you you work. And in, in, in this is not just Soho, this is across the board and so many hospitality um, environments. You work 60, 70 plus hours and it is it's long. And I'm like mid-30s now. And it's not like these youngins who are happy to do it. Um, but so yeah, and I was thinking, okay, what can I what can I do that's not this? I don't want to be a barista because I'm beyond that now. I love being busy. And um, and my, my whole family have run their own businesses. So I thought, Maybe I should do it myself. I'm always complaining that people are doing things wrong, as my mum would say. And so if and I thought maybe I'll do it myself, I can't blame anyone then <laughs> if it goes wrong except for myself. So yeah, so I think it was at the end of that kind of journey. I was like, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe this is what I'm going to do now. Hmm. One of the things you've sort of spoken to me about before is about being quite proud about being a woman in coffee. Yeah, t- tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, just uh, the coffee industry 
in the UK specifically, but I think it, it, it's the same um, in, a, uh, in a lot of countries, especially at this level of coffee as well. So if we take about, the, you can split the coffee industry into, into several different ways, but the main one is sort of your specialty coffee, which is where I work in, which is a much higher level, where there's a lot higher skill set. It's quite demanding. Um, and there's a whole competition set to it as well, which can be a really great platform for a lot of people's careers beyond being a barista. And then you've got the other side of it, which is just like kind of your bog standard, just sort of coffee for coffee's sake kind of being served. And in the specialty arena, it's kind of, there's a, a high, there's a lot of very successful um, men um, predominantly white men that have have done very well off the back of the competition circuit. They've been very well supported. They're brilliant guys, and it's not to do them a disservice, but it's not great representation. Um, and um, and I would say that although it is changing now, um, there needs we need to bring more women or non-binary people, people of color, to be invited and and to be represented into our industry because it is it is lacking at the moment. Um, and um, and especially in those roles that are. Uh, maybe better paid um, or more above kind of barista level, above kind of front of house level. There, you know, you get you do get uh, people in management and those levels, but there's so there's so many cool things to do in coffee and in the competition circuit where you get a great platform and um, it can lead on to all sorts of exciting careers. We're not very well represented, so yeah. So starting my business from that point of view was quite daunting, and and the imposter syndrome was was huge. And I've had that throughout my whole career in coffee, actually, the imposter syndrome. So a lot of my peers are are men, and I always compare. I always felt that I wasn't as good or I wasn't for whatever reason. Um, but thankfully now there are some amazing um, groups for uh, for women and non-binary people that everyone is very supportive and it's the whole point to come together. And I've got some amazing networks now, and it, uh, everyone is just, yeah, super supportive. So it's not to – I'm not trying to um, – yeah, to be too negative about my industry. But, uh, but yeah, it is. I'm excited to be one of not very many coffee consultants um, that happen to be female. And has that been one of your biggest challenges as an entrepreneur then, the, the imposter syndrome? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm usually, I always thought I was a, a very confident, um, outgoing person. I'm quite happy to fail until it's my business, then it's, then it's a whole different thing. But I was always just like, oh, I'll give it a go fine uh, I'll move on to the next thing and that's always been how I have gone through life um, until I then started my business and then all of those things become much more intense and much more uh, I don't know quite how to describe it but yeah there's more on the line basically if you fail and you can tie that into it so I do think um, yeah especially in the first year um, and a lot of last year, but I'm going to blame COVID for that. But there was a, there's a lot of insecurities that come out there, and um, and they get they just get in the way, and it's really annoying because you know that you're doing it, and it's sort of yeah, it's a distraction, and it's a, it's a shame. So I did um, some kind of uh, self help as well, you know, working on myself, and I had some counselling to help kind of build that up, and um, working with mentors like yourself, and uh, it's yeah, it's really helpful to to steer away from those, or at least to kind of when you. St- when you can see it happening, it's just sort of like, okay, I need to stop that now because that's just a distraction. So, yeah, it is a, it's an interesting one. So flipping it the other side, then what's been the best moment of running your own business? Ooh, good question. I have to say, um, I think when I first started, I, I won a, um, a contract um, pretty much straight away. It was, a, it was a great project. It was a good learning um, curve. But I loved being able to suddenly have that freedom uh, of I could see my friends and my family again because I'd had spent four four years working being one of the only people in my circle of friends that worked in hospitality outside of my hospitality family anyway um, and so I never I used to miss out on so many things this is a, a weird thing to say but yeah I think I just loved having that balance back and I was like okay great so I've got 
money coming in, I'm building my business, but I've also now got that time back mm-hmm. and bringing that balance back in. Um, and I think that it's very hard um, sometimes to, to see a way out when you just sort of get addicted to to working and you get that kind of that buzz and you just and then you suddenly realize, oh, my God, what am I doing? This is not what life is for. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly the proudest moment. It, it's a weird one to, to say, but I do think that that was a real eye opener to, oh, I'm, I've done the right thing here, although it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, running my own business can give me that flexibility. Fantastic. And I know you su- support a, a well-known local coffee brand um, <laughs> and help them to roast their yeah. coffee beans. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more what it means to be a roaster. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, so Jericho, I've worked with, with James and the guys at, at Jericho Coffee Traders for on and off uh, for about two years now. Originally, I went in on a consultancy level, just helping with some like business development stuff. And then um, then I just sort of asked, could I, I don't, this is one area that I don't know much about in terms of actually, yeah, roasting it, checking for defects and how that can change. So yeah, so I, I, he very kindly said, that I could, he could teach me how to how to roast. So, um, and that started. And then it basically, uh, they sadly lost their roast at the beginning of the year. He had to, to move away. And I said, look, you know, um, I'd love to love to come um, back and and to keep to keep doing that. So roasting is is yeah, it's quite brutal. Especially Jericho are so busy now. It's brilliant. They've grown um, phenomenally over the last year in COVID. It's one of the great positive stories that's come out of COVID. Um, and uh, but roasting on a little six kg roaster when you've got to do you know, half half a ton of coffee in a couple of days. You're just like, oh god, this is brutal. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting process, and it's uh, part art, part science, and uh, and it is, and it's really fun to play about just to see how much you can change um, for both positives and negatives. You know, with your roast profile, how much you can uh, change coffee and how and how it tastes. And it's, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating journey that I'm, that I'm still very much on. And I'm very excited because they've just had a, a really beautiful new machine arrive yesterday. So next week's going to be lots of fun. A little bit bigger, I understand. A little bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, um, you know, one of the things I, until we sort of like had a conversation, I didn't really understand the, the whole concept of craft in a cup of coffee. You know, and I remember your face when I said to you, when I used to uh, um, own an indoor soft play center, the, the coffee we had, and we just had the coffee pods and, I can remember your face saying, yeah, you didn't quite do it the way it should have been done, should, did you? So tell us a little bit more about craft in a cup of coffee. Well, yeah, it's this is the thing. I think that um, you can just have, you can just get your, your beans ground. You can buy it from the supermarket and you can just put some hot water on it and, you know, have a cup of coffee. And it will be perfectly fine. Uh, it will just taste like coffee. It will, just, it will just be a very, very boring kind of flat taste cup of coffee. So when we talk about, you know, there's so much skill that goes into crafting or creating a really beautiful cup of coffee at the end of it. And that starts absolutely at farm level. And then it moves through to the roasting. And then it moves through to either you at home or me as a barista. And at any point along that, someone can mess that up mess up their process. So it goes through hundreds and hundreds of different hands to get to that cup at the end and it needs to be cared for each time. And so, yeah, your, yeah, your pods and that thing, maybe, maybe it could have been done well. I don't know, but there's all sorts of things that you can do to influence a cup of coffee. So it's a really interesting beverage to create. So I might explore that with you another time. <laughs> so um, just to, to finish off this episode then today, what would be your one tip for somebody else who's going to follow an entrepreneurial journey just like yourself? Ooh, um, I would say, have a, a good amount, well, not a good amount, enough of a financial buffer. 
so that you're not terrified the whole time. Um, and so that's what something I did wrong. I think I should have uh, had a part-time job at the same time as building my business. I just went all in and, uh, and it started off great and then it got a bit dicey for, you know, for six months or so. So yeah, that's what I would say. Make sure that you've got a little bit of backing just so that it doesn't block your creative um, kind of, yeah, ideas. A bit of capital, a bit of working capital, a bit, exactly. bit of cash flow. Brilliant. Superb. Thank you, Lou. Thanks for, for Thanks joining so me today for this latest episode. Um, thanks for sharing your, your thoughts. Thank you for having me. So it's always great having uh, my guests with me, joining me on my podcast to share their knowledge, their experience, their expertise to help you make that step change in your business. As always, I hope you found the podcast useful, thought-provoking and uh, of interest. Thanks for listening to this Step Change podcast with me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. Please do subscribe to my podcast via your favorite app. And then the next time I release one of my episodes, you'll be one of the first to know. <laughs> <laughs>